What are qualified Canadian journalism outlets, and why has the Canadian government put itself in charge of deciding what you get to see for your news? I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Kenneth Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. So we've been talking in recent days and weeks about the new legislation being put forth by the Trudeau government and how it restricts our ability to speak freely as Canadians. It impacts our free speech as well as freedom of the press. And today I wanted to look specifically at Bill C-18 and discuss how it impacts the news that you see. So it's called the Online News Act. And part of this legislation is designating certain journalism outlets as qualified Canadian journalism outlets. So in order to be approved by the government, we've learned, uh, you have to be approved by a small board put together by the Trudeau government. So I want to go back to a Twitter thread put out by Jesse Brown. Jesse Brown is the publisher and editor-in-chief over at Candleland, put out a request to Jesse to see if he'd want to come join the podcast and discuss what he's found. He hasn't gotten back to us. If he does, I'd be happy to have him on the show. But Jesse Brown writes this. He says, in 2020, the Trudeau government started paying ongoing subsidies to newspapers. It was a trip into the unknown. How did government decide which papers to bail out and which to let die? What about independence of the press? Big questions. Now, there are two years of answers threads. So this is a thread that Jesse put together back on April 4th. So he continues. He writes, meet the five people who decide which news orgs are qualified Canadian journalism outlets, which are known as QCJOs. It's a board of news experts, academics and retired journalists paid by government to read articles from every news organization that applied and decide which are up to the snuff. So here we see the five people who are appointed to this Trudeau government board. And as you can see from this map, we have four people from Eastern Canada. Looks like two from Quebec, one from Ottawa, which is almost basically Quebec, and one from the Maritimes. You have no one from the entire center of the country, no one from the, uh, from the prairies, no one from the west, one person from Vancouver. So really not a very balanced organization here regionally, if you ask me. But these are the people who determine whether or not you are qualified. So Jesse continues. He says, in year one of the media bailout, the board passed judgment on 159 news organizations. In June, they released their first annual report. So how many news orgs from the 159 got in? Which ones? How much money did they get? Also, who got rejected and why? And so he shows a screenshot from the annual report. It shows the statistics. So between March 2020 and March 2021, the board has received and returned to the CRA a total of 159 requests for recommendation. Of those, 157 recommendations were QCJO designated applications and two were rejected. Okay, so so two were rejected, 157 were approved. But as Jesse continues, he says they aren't telling. The names of the news organizations currently funded by taxpayers is a secret. The amounts they receive are a secret. The names of those rejected are a secret. And the reasons why they were rejected are a secret. The board meets in secret. There are no videos online of their meetings. No minutes can be read. Canadian newspapers said that they would die without government 
aid, this board decides which ones qualify for it. Their rulings could mean life or death for a news org, and it's all kept a secret. And he says, don't blame the board. It wasn't their choice. Governments chose to put this under the CRA, where tax laws conceal the names of the beneficiaries. This broke an explicit promise of transparency that Minister Pablo Rodriguez made to Evan Solomon. So here is a clip from CTV with Evan Solomon, the journalist, asking the heritage minister whether it would be secret. And you can see... Minister Rodrigo's response right here. Here is that clip. Will you promise to make every decision this advisory group makes and the next group makes transparent in terms of how your government decides, who is what your government calls a qualified journalistic organization, and why they got the money? Will all that be transparent and no secrecy? Absolutely. Absolutely. All the recommendations. And they'll be making recommendations on a lot of things, and some... Some uh, will maybe, uh, anyways, 100% of the recommendations, as you were asking, will be, uh, will be public. It is because it's the, the whole intent of, of, of our action, make, uh, making sure that uh, this is done on an arm's length basis, respecting the experts that sit on those panels. Um, you know, the groups that are consulting to name experts, can name people in their organization, can name people outside of their own organization. Um, so we'll listen to them, we'll listen to what they say, and we'll definitely make it public. It's, it's really important that we do so, and we will. And again, he says 100% transparency. The minister promised 100% transparency, and yet we, we know nothing. The only thing we know, as Brown later points out in his Twitter thread, is that the only people who we know what funding they receive are publicly traded news companies who have to disclose their funding. So Post Media got $6.9 million in tax credits in 2020. The Toronto Star got $6.8 million, but we don't know for other newspapers that were privately held, such as the Globe and Mail. We do know about one organization that was rejected because they themselves made it public. I'm talking about Rebel News. You may have heard the news last week that Ezra Levant, uh, Rebel Commander and Rebel News is suing the government after their outlet was denied to be covered under this qualified Canadian journalism organization status. And so Levant uh, tweeted this out. He said that the board reviewed his content. They looked at a total of 276 news stories. It took them over a year to do that. And the board, this is a quote from Ezra, they declared, get this, that, quote, less than 1% of the content meets the criteria for original news. So what a strange world we live in where the government is the one that gets to determine whether or not you're a journalist, a qualified journalism organization, whether you qualify for funding, uh, and there's a whole bunch of other consequences that come with that. So joining me today on the podcast, I'm really pleased to welcome my friend and colleague, Andrew Lawton. Andrew is a senior journalist here with True North, and he is the host of The Andrew Lawton Show. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So, I mean, I, I don't think that you will be a very uh, big fan of this uh, regime that's being brought in when it comes to the mix of journalism and government. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of this whole secret panel and a government-appointed panel in the first place getting to determine who is and who isn't a journalist? You know, I remember when the Global Conference for Media Freedom uh, took place back in uh, July of, I think, 2019. 
And the government of Canada was in the UK talking a big game about media freedom in Congo and media freedom in Venezuela and media freedom in Iran without looking in the mirror and, and talking about its own very dismal record to media freedom. And, and this isn't just the Liberal Party banning independent journalists from covering its campaign events. But as we see here, it, it's the government getting into the, biz, the business of deciding what a journalist is. And, and this is something that, that is quite significant because it, it also means the government is, as in the case of rebel also saying what isn't a journalist and and that the idea of a government designation something that doesn't exist in canada in the form of a license is now effectively coming in through the back door through this because if you're someone that is I, let's just look at the convoy as a great example when you had police questioning people as to why they were walking down the streets of ottawa and, and you could say i'm a journalist and they say well prove it and the response that I'd give is, well, there is no national license to be a journalist in Canada. If you want to be a journalist, you just work as a journalist. But now when government is doing this, that they're actually making themselves the gatekeepers. And it's very, very dangerous. Well, I remember you telling the stories about how they were asking for like an official piece of government ID. And to me, that's so Ottawa. That's such an Ottawa mentality that if you're something official, you have some kind of a ID card. And basically what they were asking for was a parliamentary press uh, pass, which which True North doesn't have. I mean, we, we can apply for temporary ones. Uh, but but this is really formalizing it. So what what, what else? Uh, so, so if you if you become a qualified uh, outlet, I know you can apply for government funding. True North has chosen not to because we don't we don't want government funding. We're not interested. So we haven't even bothered putting an application in. Uh, what else is this uh, qualification? What, what does it do? Aside from just government funding, does it have any other powers? Does it have any other ability um, to, 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 you know, prevent or, or enable journalists from practicing in Canada? Well, not directly, but you have to look at the broader package of, of what the government is trying to do here. And in the last parliament, there were three bills that significantly regulated the internet. And a couple of those have come back already. Bill C-10 has come back as C-11. Uh, one of the other ones came back as C-18, which is what we're uh, talking about now. And, and then there was also an online hate speech bill. And all of these combined basically expand the the purview of the government to regulate the internet and regulate in internet content providers. And one of the things that Minister Stephen Gilbo has said is that, well, we're, we're not going to regulate news providers. But the definition of what a news provider is, is now something that the government gets to decide. So if they say, well, we don't recognize you as a news agency, all of a sudden the government is able to regulate someone. So the government could regulate someone like Rebel News, for example, as a group the government does not recognize as a legitimate journalism organization. And, and the reason this also is significant is, is one of the things they're trying to do is force social media companies like Facebook and Google to pay for news. So they want big tech to subsidize news. Now, I've got a lot of issues with big tech, but I, I have to defend the tech companies here because news is a very small subset of what they do. And, and Facebook has been very transparent or meta rather to its credit about this as far as the, the small percentage of their market share that is related to news content. They get a lot more money out of influencers and silly videos and cats and memes and all of that than they do out of news. And, and what the government is saying that, no, 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 you need to pay these companies. So it isn't just about the tax credits. It's not just about evading government licensing. It's also about forcing a pipeline of money from big tech companies to subsidize journalism. It's it's so funny where we're now in the situation where we're, we're defending 
these tech companies because usually you know we're, we're, we're some of the biggest critics of them yeah but i'm just reading uh here the bill c18 the online news act would ensure that news media and journalists receive fair compensation for their work so it would require require tech giants to make fair deals with outlets for the news and information that is shared on their platform it just seems i mean to me the idea that somehow the the, the government the trudeau government thinks that it is the one that is responsible for ensuring that journalists get fair compensation for their work like I, I thought that was the job of the market right it's like if you're a competent journalist who is able to you know, get people to pay for your work and, and, and encourage people uh, that, that, that there's value in your work that, that's up to the journalist that's up to the consumer that's up to the market uh, the, the, this whole idea that somehow Trudeau is going to like valiantly step in and and you know be the knight in shining armor to save these these media outlets is just sort of to me it seems so antiquated and out of touch uh andrew to your point that most most of the people who get have huge audiences on social media platforms it's because they're doing something fun and 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 compelling um not because the the government is forcing um their hand uh i i'm just i'm just wondering like uh, do you think this is going to work? Do you think that somehow this is going to save outlets like Post Media and Toronto Star and Globe and Mail from, from the fate that they've seen over the last several years of just declining readership and declining profits? I know. I mean, you can. The problem is they need a business model that is going to be modern. And unfortunately, the only alternative that's being offered up by government and also by a lot of these outlets is the uh, subsidy model. That's basically it. I mean, when, when we say find a new model, we don't mean replace advertising and subscriptions with government subsidy. We mean be innovative, do what True North is doing, do what Rebel is doing, do what Epic Times is doing. I mean, there's a whole host of independent media companies that have developed new models, yet newspapers have tremendous overhead. They've got these giant, you know, multi-million dollar buildings and downtown spaces. They've got real estate holding. I mean, all of this stuff. And, and it isn't viable. It isn't working at all. But the answer to that is not to get government to bankroll it when even that hasn't exactly stopped layoffs for media companies. And interesting thing here about uh, social media is that we are, are talking about companies here that are not messing around in some ways. And they're bigger than the countries that are passing these. I remember when Australia moved very aggressively to do what a very similar thing to what Minister Gilboa was doing. And there was a time when Facebook, in protest of this, banned you from sharing a link to an Australian news website. And I know for whatever reason, my website uh, had an Australian server and there was a time until I got it sorted out where you couldn't share a link to my website because Facebook thought I was uh, an Australian, which may have been a compliment. I don't know. But that was a very chilling thing when all of a sudden you're, you're trying to share a link and you're getting the old uh, New York Post Hunter Biden laptop treatment of like just the link will not post because Facebook has decided it's not worth the hassle. And I fear that could happen in Canada. Any companies that are saying we want Facebook to subsidize us, I would say, well, are you not posting your content on Facebook? Are you not using Facebook and Twitter to amass an audience? I mean, you need them more than they need you. 
Well, it's so funny because we we were talking about this. I remember when this, because the the media companies, the newspapers have been advocating for this for a long time. And it's kind of funny, Andrew. I know in the the early days when we were trying to get accredited for the liberal campaign uh, to have you embedded as a journalist there back at the 2019 election, uh, they were saying, no, you guys can't come because you're not journalists, you're activists, right? And and, and you do advocacy or something like that, which we we don't, but that's just sort of code, uh, their way of saying conservatives aren't welcome, basically, or, or conservative news outlets. Uh, But anyway, at the same time, the newspapers were doing a real advocacy campaign to the Trudeau government lobbying for them to get this kind of treatment. And, and, and one of the things was that, you know, Facebook, Everyone knows that Facebook and Google have sort of eaten the lunch of the advertising company. You can, you can, if you want to buy an ad for a small business, you can target your audience so much better on Facebook and Google. You can reach the exact type of person where that you want. Whereas if you put an ad in a newspaper, it, you know it goes to everybody, and and most of those people won't even pay any attention to your to your ad, and and you're not going to get good bang for your buck. So Google and 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 Facebook do a much better job with advertising than these newspaper companies. But the idea was, oh, uh, you know, people can share our content for free on Facebook. You go to like almost any link shared by the Toronto Star, and it's like the only ones sharing it are the Toronto Star. So somehow the Toronto Star wants to be compensated for the fact that they're sharing their own news story on Facebook. And and then it's it's wild because that's basically what this what this bill does is making sure that Facebook and Google pay these companies for every time their link is shared online, even though they, they frankly they don't get shared that much. A lot of the stuff they put out isn't that interesting. People aren't aren't that you know interested in sharing this kind of stuff. I, I wonder you you mentioned the whole Australia thing and how Australia, Facebook Facebook kind of just flexed their muscles and said like we don't have to do this because all we have to do is shut you down and you have no recourse. Do, do, do you think that the, that the tech companies are going to go along with this because all over this legislation says we've modeled after Australia. When I hear that I kind of laugh because I think the Australia legislation was a failure. Like they they introduced this legislation, Facebook flexed by just completely shutting off all the news stories like you mentioned and then Australia had to go and 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 rejig and rewrite their legislation so that it wasn't as aggressive because Facebook slapped it down so hard so I I have a hard time imagining that that big tech companies in Silicon Valley will go along with a government kind of trying to meddle in their business meddle with their algorithm tell them they have to pay once they do this it sets a precedent that they're going to have to do this for all kinds of other governments what do you think? Yeah, that's certainly the concern is that all of a sudden, and again, these companies have invested considerably in government relations and lobbying. So they are engaging with government on this. And and I know they're probably trying to exact concessions behind the the scenes here. Uh, And again, how powerfully they're going to be able to do that, we don't know. Governments are committed more to ideology right now. They want to be able to say they're saving local news and saving journalism and all of this. But but the result of it is is that you have a, a journalism industry that is entirely dependent on government. And and even if, I mean, this is why it's so brilliant, because government can pass a bill that makes uh, Facebook and Google and Twitter and whatever subsidize news outlets, but it's government that's claiming the credit. It's government that's doing it without actually having to shell out the money. And they're saying, no, 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 we're not subsidizing. We're not paying, but we're saving saving media. And, And in doing so, that is going to be very difficult for the next government to take away. And we even saw in the last election in in September, Aaron O'Toole, and and we can have a different discussion about the why, but Aaron O'Toole was very reticent to say, we're going to rip up the $600 million media bailout and and CBC defunding because it it becomes very difficult once government has decided to establish some pot of money for something for another government to go and, and take that away. 
Which is why you never see the rollback of government policies. And that, you're right. I mean, I, I hate to give Trudeau any credit, but it's the brilliance of his campaign. And, and you can go back because in 2015, Andrew, uh, the Trudeau government pledged to quadruple uh, a cut that had been made by the Harper government. So so I, I think Harper cut $150 million and uh, uh, Trudeau came back with like $500 million or something like that um, in additional funds. So he basically won that election in part by bribing the CBC saying, if you will like me, you'll get all this money. If you elect the other guy, you won't, and you could lose your job, which puts a journalist in a direct conflict of interest where their their livelihood could potentially be at stake. Uh, that, that was They were so successful in 2015 doing that, they brought out the same playbook in the 2019 election, but made it much, much broader with the newspaper bailout because Andrew Scheer, the conservative leader, was opposed to it. So, so all of a sudden, you know, you have journalists covering an election where their jobs could potentially be at stake. How could anyone be fair in that scenario? How could you provide fair coverage? And 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 then now we're in a situation where they're all on essentially the government dole. I mean, to me, it's wild. It's such a conflict of interest. There is no free press in Canada when you have the government this entangled in it. I mean, Andrew, you've worked in newsrooms. You've worked in legacy media uh, in the past. Why is it that so many journalists are just sort of complacent and they barely cover this and they don't think it seem to think it's a big deal? Um, they're allowing a government takeover of the free press in this country. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of them are, I mean, there are good people I, I've worked with in mainstream media newsrooms that, that I think, no, well, I'm not affected by this. I'm not going to uh, subsidize. I'm not going to, you know, write favorably about the government because they've done this. So they don't see the broader implication. I mean, in every other space, the illusion of a conflict of interest is just as dangerous as a, a genuine conflict of interest. And and I think there's a challenge in, in how the newsrooms themselves are. I mean, when the National News Media Council or whatever it's called has advocated for this, they have had coordinated campaigns where the front pages, literally the front pages of all mainstream media newspapers are instead a letter to the government saying, do this, implement this policy. And again, if, if you were to have to go back to our, our previous exchange about a party wanting to roll that back, if you were to have a, a party in, you know, let's say, 2025 or 2029 or whatever, saying we're campaigning on, on rolling this back, well, how are those newspapers going to respond? During the election, is there going to be a, a big letter on the front page of newspapers telling people why this policy is wrong? So the, the newspapers themselves have become the advocates, even if the individual journalists aren't. And that can't not uh, filter down to the coverage that people are reading. Well, that's why I find it so funny and amusing that they would call us, you know, activists and they would say that we engage in advocacy when they literally you know, they're pushing for specific legislation. True North would never do that kind of stuff. And for sure, I mean, who knows what kinds of stories are buried or killed or or what, you know, I mean, just as an example, uh, it was a U.S. publication, Time Magazine, that first reported that Justin Trudeau was wearing blackface. And almost immediately, a bunch of Canadian outlets put out follow-up stories that they had other pictures, so they were just holding. It was like the middle of an election. I think it was CTV and maybe the Globe and Mail or something. Global, they had Global their own... had uh, another Global. one that they had not done anything with. Global, yeah, they were and they were just holding it. And so it's like, okay, well, we might as well release this now. So it's like, what what else do you have that you're not reporting because you, for whatever reason you've justified to yourself that it's not in the public interest? Again, I, th I think we're we're heading down a pretty. I mean, we're already there. We're already in this weird dystopian world where independent journalists are deemed to be activists 
like the Rebel, like True North, um, whereas the actual legacy media outlets are doing advocacy, successfully lobbying the government, getting money from it, and then they create this club where they, they lock themselves out. So I, I guess final question here, Andrew, uh, what does this mean for outlets like True North? What does this mean for organizations like the Independent Press Gallery? I think it means, well, I mean, for the independent press gallery, I, I think it means there needs to be a counterbalance to this. And, and I've always been very, very impressed, not just as a counterbalance to the parliamentary press gallery, but even to the National News Media Council and to these institutions that are advocating for more of a relationship between government and the press and, and more of a financial relationship. And, and I think for outlets like True North, it, it means that we have to be able to just continue doing what we're doing. I, I mean, what government is trying to do is, is as you mentioned earlier, Candace manipulate the market. They're trying to create a business model to keep these things going, but they're only doing that because these outlets are, are in a, a very bad place otherwise. And I think the fact that we are growing and hiring an independent journalist, I mean, the Western Standard has been on a hiring spree in the last couple of months. And, and while they are a competitor in some way, I'm actually quite pleased to see growth in independent media in general. So I, I think eventually it may take some time, but the audience is going to have the final say on this. Well, you're right. And and the idea that during an election, you know, if, if a conservative leader comes out and says, we're not going to renew this, and all of a sudden you have front page ads in newspapers, I just think that that you know, further drives people away from legacy media. It'll drive people to independent media because it's like, how can you trust these guys? They're not even uh, pretending to be objective anymore. Well, Andrew, I always uh, appreciate your perspective and your opinion. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you. All right, that's Andrew Lawton, host of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Kenneth Malcolm Show.